on the pace line, a California city council is using Strava to justify a ban on bikes on some popular trails. I'm here to support the prohibition of bicycles in Burden Preserve. We have a route sheet to go over, and the map takes us to some steep, gnarly terrain in Utah. And Shimano announces price cuts while Giant cuts out the middleman. Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, keeps rolling thanks to FatCyclist.com and its main attraction, Fatty, is with us. You know, I'm here to support the prohibition of bicycles as well. That's kind of a coincidence. Be careful with that. We're going to get to that segment in, in a few. It's going to surprise a lot of folks about what one city council has used to try and push bikes out of an important area. RedKitePrayer.com, the significant other in this podcast, Patrick Brady in Full recovery mode? I hope. Yeah, you hope. Uh, I'm Michael Houghton, also part of the RKP team. Uh, We're going to get to the route sheet in just a few, but first let's hear about Old Cazadero. We uh, featured Old Caz on one of our first uh, Paceline podcasts. Uh, First route segment sheet, I think we did, in fact, for the Paceline. How did things go in western Sonoma County? Patrick Brady, you... uh, you were at the event with Miguel Crawford and the Grasshopper Gang. What happened up there? Uh, well, some guys went really, really fast. Uh, Ted King won it in like two hours and 52 minutes. Uh, not only that, Lawrence Tendam uh, from Giant Alpeson was there getting in a little extra spring training. I don't know, kicking large-scale ass. Uh, but, yeah, Ted King won it for me. Um I think I set my sights a little high for what I wanted to achieve, uh, which is to say for the first two-thirds of the event, uh, I rode just out of my body. And then uh, the climb up Willow Creek. Um, you've heard of forced marches, right? I uh, I didn't. <laughs> I kind of came apart there. Um, but I got up it. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't an amazing time like I was hoping to post. Um, all in all, a really great day crazy amounts of fun um i you know for me this is a real good reason to pin a number on yeah so the el nino effects on the course were there any how was how was western sonoma county doing with all the rain it's received it was almost embarrassingly beautiful it was in the 70s a lot of people started the day without even arm warmers on um the uh crossing of austin creek was kind of barely knee deep um that water was probably, uh, I don't know, 34 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, my feet were pretty much cold for the rest of the day. Um, but, yeah, conditions were extraordinary. Nobody was flinging mud. I mean, there were, there was one little uh, slightly splashy spot, but I carried my camera with me, so hopefully I've got some good shots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw one crash. Uh, oddly enough, a tree that I've crashed on uh, when I did my recon back in December. Um, turns out the dude was okay. Stuck around with him to make sure that he didn't have anything broken uh, and he knew his name. Uh, yeah. But uh, it was, yeah, just a fantastic event. Um, a lot of people there, you know, really just kind of riding it to have fun. But then a, a whole cadre of people who were there uh you know, as if it was an A event of their whole season. Sure. Um, some very, very fast people and some amazingly fast descenders. I mean, there was stuff where I thought I was cooking, and then when I checked, 
uh, wait for it, Strava, um, there were a lot of people going way faster on some of those descents than I was. Well, please post some pictures because it is a lovely area and a great, great event. Uh, and lucky you, you know, you were able to recon that course. You know that course well, which gets us into our first main topic uh, today, guys, and that's about course recon and what you need to know before doing a big event, or if you need to know anything, um, we're going to, uh, It's a, you know, this this idea of recon, we want to turn to Fatty, because Fatty, this week you went down to Southern Utah, yep. Santa Clara, Utah, or the St. George area to check out your, I guess, one of your big events for the year, and that's the True Grit Epic, 100 miles, 50. 15 150 or you're doing the 50 mile isn't there a 100 miler <laughs> there you can do two laps if you yeah. want to do the 100 mile version very few people do the 100 mile version because it is completely just off the charts difficult 50 miles of uh desert single track it this time of the year is plenty right so if you do the 100, you're simply doing a second lap of what you've already done once before? Precisely. Oh, hell, I'd be out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even, I, I don't even consider it. So tell me about uh, the area and what you went down to do and, and your idea about reconning a course for this type of an event. Sure. So recon from a hypothetical perspective always seems like a terrific idea, right? You want to know what the course is like. You want to know whether your fitness is more or less where it ought to be. You want to have a good sense of whether you ought to be carrying more water or more food or less of either. And it just seems like a good way to make sure that you are prepared. But there's a two-edged sword aspect to that, right? The premise of doing recon is you're hoping that you are going to find out that you are prepared, that you are in decent shape, that you can do the ride. But what if you go and you do the recon, you go out and you pre-ride this 50 miles of incredibly technical, mostly single track desert riding, and you find out that you are not in good shape and that you do not have the stamina to finish this thing and that you have less than three weeks before the race itself actually begins. What are you telling us? <laughs> I'm telling you the story of my weekend and, <laughs> and it gets worse. See, this is, um, I would, I didn't go down alone. Uh, this is going to be the first season that, um, my, my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter is going to be doing some endurance racing as well she is signed up for leadville and as yeah leadville's already in this one sorry i'm not going to talk about leadville much this time but she's signed <laughs> up for leadville it's her big a event and to prepare for it she is signing up for all of the local epics that run up to it such as uh the true grid epic is a biggie it in uh mid-march it's 50 miles technical difficult single track there is, of course, the Crusher and the Tusher. And in between, there is the six hours of Frog Hollow. So some some well-known local epics, none of which are more than three hours drive away. So she came along for this pre-ride as well. And so uh, my wife and my 20-year-old stepdaughter, they are just cruising along and having a grand time. And about 30 miles in, my cold 
that I had all last week, you know, just kind of got the best of me, or at least that's the, that's the excuse I'm going with. And I said, sorry guys, I just can't do it. And there's the most amazing thing happens when you do that, when you say, okay, sorry guys, I'm done. And I had been planning this speech of what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. And everyone would say, oh, it's okay. And I would, you know, take the left turn that allows me to ride back to the house. And I do that. And everyone says the right things and that it's a smart thing to do, etc. And as soon as I make the left turn, all of the aches and pain from the ride go away and are replaced by shame. <laughs> and I am thinking to myself, I can't believe I just dropped out of a ride, you know, a 50 mile ride, 30 miles into it. While my 20 year old stepdaughter who has never done a ride of this duration is just happy and is continuing on. And I'm like, I got to pull myself together. If there has ever been a wake up call, this was it. <laughs> so, I, I think you absolutely did the right thing though. I mean, look, this is you're a 50-year-old well, man now. Stop, stop, Michael. <laughs> you used your no, head. Michael did the right thing. This is helping. This, this is the paceline therapy session, and I need no, it. No, really. I mean, uh, look, I, I, I've been ill recently, too. The last thing you want to do is go out and try and challenge yourself, first of all, on, on with any length, and second of all, on a technical section, like you're on rocky, slippery, you're, you have to concentrate, you have to have cardiovascular fitness, the last thing you want to do is go out and mess that up because you're out pre-riding. Okay, I mean, wait, no, you you just you need to stop. I want to hear how this ends up because nothing we say right now is relevant until we know how this turns out. So, Fatty, please, what happened? Well, I went back to the house and I took a shower and I started writing my blog post about my mile and a half ride of shame while my wife and stepdaughter completed the ride, had the best day of their lives. She killed it. And I would say, you know, this 20-year-old kid is set to have an incredible year. And I have a list of excuses a mile and a half long. But I do I and will make up for it with the blog post that is going up today. And, of course, the podcast will come out Thursday. So we'll, I'll, I'll want you to link back to it. My point being, I did, uh, during one of the breaks, get what I would consider the single best slow-mo video I have ever taken in my entire life. This was just with a phone. But my friend Kenny, while we were just goofing around, eating or something during a break, he found a nice little drop. Well, not little. I would say about <laughs> 8 to 10 foot drop with a dirt run out, he says, I'm going to do it. I say, wait for a second for me to get in place. I film it. He does the drop, pulls out of his right cleat as he is pulling his front wheel up. And so he is doing this 10 foot drop with his right foot out of his pedal, just dangling in the air. And you can kind of see it fishing around. And that means he doesn't have enough speed and his rear wheel basically is four inches behind the lip of the rollout and it's just kaboom and he goes down hard on his side 
slides for, I would say, about six feet, and then still with the momentum of his crash, comes back up onto his feet and into a gymnast perfect dismount pose uh, right by Frozen his girlfriend. Feet. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, you want to say, you know, that it was planned, that it was perfect, but it, it was, uh, you know, it, I, and Kenny would probably disagree, but, or maybe he wouldn't, but all of his, all of his scratches and contusions are all worth it as far as I'm concerned for 30 seconds of perfect video. And Kenny was on the True Grit Epic course, was he not? Yes. So officially, he was reconning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this crash it's was just, part of his recon. Well, And that is one of the nice things about the True Grit Epic is alternate lines are allowed. So sure, he could take that during the race itself. <laughs> wow. We'll go to the tape and see if he'll, he'll want to do that. <laughs> I, uh, I would say next time Kenny does that, he's going he's gonna to land it just fine, just Keep the pedals in the cleat, kids. Yeah. So this gets this obviously gets to the larger question about when to recon a course, when to skip, um, and uh, some of the risk involved. You know, when you do recon, obviously Kenny learned an important lesson about reconning and about the course he's going to ride. And, <laughs> and I, Fatty, I think you did too, probably about oh. you know what kind of condition you're going to need. But you know the the I, the lesson I learned I think is completely wrong. I've done this race before. I know, you know, I can do this race in about four and a half hours, and in you know I'm in similar shape as I was last year. I will be just fine. But between now and then, in spite of the fact that mentally, I know that I'm going to be okay during this during this race, that Saturday was an anomaly. It is so in my head now, and that is the that is the bleeding, cutting edge of this two-edged sword of recon. It can either make you feel good about your chances, or it can get into your head and screw you up, making you think, "Oh, I, I, I'm just somehow between last year and this year, I've become the worst writer in the world," and that's where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of people go down this path before regarding recon rides. They they feel like they need to recon a course, even though the course may be, let's say, an easy course. They, they want to see everything about the course because it puts them in, it gives them mental well-being. It gives them a certain level of confidence going in. But but that confidence can be erased, too, by oh, yeah. with one mistake or with one area of doubt about what you're doing or about your fitness. And my advice always is, Look, only go see what you really have to see or only get a f go there and get a flavor for what you're facing terrain-wise, especially in an off-road event. But there's no reason to to see the whole darn thing cuz you might fall first of all and hurt yourself. Second of all, going out and riding 50 miles is a significant effort and that does take a toll especially on a masters racer. So sometimes you don't need to, and in Fatty, in your case, you've seen this course. You have all of the confidence you, you need about your abilities out there already. So to me, it's wasted energy to, to, to do that and to go out and kind of say, well, I'm going to go out and ride 50 miles just because I need to ride 50 miles or I think I need to see the course when you know what you're doing already. And even I, if you don't know the whole course, sometimes it's not necessary. I just oh, like that it had exactly the 
I mean, precisely the opposite effect that it was supposed to have. <laughs> it did. Yep. But, you know, it was such a beautiful day. I mean, to be out there on February 13th in shorts and short sleeves and on a big ride with great friends, you know, recon bugaboos aside, it was still just an amazing day. Yep. That's the Patrick, for, for old Casadero, I mean, you know the course so well, right? You just show up at the start line Saturday morning, and you're good to go. Well, I, you know, I mean, yes and no. Okay, so this is the third time that I've ridden lots of this. I did part of it backward last summer, uh, which taught me nothing useful about the course other than fun. Um, I mean, I could, I could recreate some of the turns, you know, uh, from memory. I knew where some of them were coming, but you know, there were course marshals, so I didn't really need, uh, to have that working memory. Um, and then there's the fact that, you know, either you've got the fitness for a 3428 low gear or you don't. Um, and, uh, I, I would have liked one more gear and, you know, the recon, you know, uh, the recon doesn't really tell you a lot about that. I mean, I guess part of my larger philosophy about reconning is that, you know, if there's something technical that you need to see and you want to understand how the course goes or, you know, that sort of thing, sure, that's helpful. But I'm aware that I won't recon a course with the sort of intensity uh, that I will produce, you know, on event day. So, you know, uh, I went into it thinking, you know, yeah, I can get a low, uh, get away with a 28 for a low gear, um, and I'll just kind of gut through it a little bit, and uh, you know, yeah, I'll go faster. And that was really true until I got to the foot of Willow Creek with uh, <laughs> legs that were pretty much used up. Right. And gearing, gearing was a big part of my what I'm going to go ahead and call reconning failure last weekend as well. I, I, and this comes. St- down straight up to male testosterone imbalance. I my wife is uh, doing uh, all of her races this year on a single speed, and that includes the recon she did uh, last Saturday, and she was just killing it, just flying. Um, but because I knew that she was going to be reconning on the single speed, even though I planned to race on gears. I went ahead and brought my single speed for this ride and did not uh, have the energy or foresight to check and see what my current gearing was on the single speed. And it wasn't until the first climb that I remembered that I had set up the single speed toward the end of last year as a 3418. Um <laughs> Because I I was doing some basic final you know some final strength work before Leadville once again just doing very hard climbs in a very big gear just essentially stress testing myself. Okay, so let's let's back <laughs> up just a second. So you show up to this thing fresh off a cold with a single speed bike instead of a geared bike. And a single speed that is geared rather tall for peak fitness. Am I missing anything? Um, I was carrying 150 ounces of water. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and with that uh, said, and all of this stuff for tire for three tire changes because nobody else had a Camelback that was very big. <laughs> <laughs> this just gets better and better. And everyone's food. 
<laughs> and you bailed at 30 miles with everyone's food. No, no. Uh, lunch had already gone by then. The food was gone. Oh, okay. But I did give the I, I did give the camel back to my wife uh, so she would have plenty of water for the rest of the ride. <laughs> Do you guys take any stock in what race promoters or event promoters put on their websites regarding rides? And, and does that help? with? For instance, for the True Grid Epic, here's what the promoter put up. The first 20 miles are over rocky and steep terrain that requires excellent bike handling skills and upper body strength. What bike should I use? The most popular is a hardtail 29er, but a full suspension would definitely be better in the techie sections. And then weather, they try to put weather up. The average high, 68, low 38. But what the hell? Sometimes we see 85, 40, snow, rain. My problem with the event promoters is that they kind of get all over the map. They want to cover their CYA, you know, Mm -hmm. with this information instead of being precise and saying, bring this bike, here's the temp, here's what we think you should be able to do here. Oh, do you guys see, take any stock in the info you read on these websites? In this case, uh, Cimarron, Cimarron, who is the race promoter, is being spot on with uh, the information she's providing here. Uh, last year, it was short sleeve and uh, shorts weather, and it was wonderful. The prior two years, it had rained so hard that people were losing derailers left and right. So it's, it's at a time of year where it can be very rainy and cold, or it can be beautifully sunny. And, you know, she's, she's putting this up saying this isn't just a, it could be anything, but historically it has been all of the above of these things. So she's being spot on there in terms of what she's saying in, uh, for the race itself. Yeah, that's, uh, she's describing the right bike. It's definitely a good hardtail course. Um, but uh, doing the Zen Trail on a full suspension bike uh, will give you an advantage during that portion of it. The final 20 miles, uh, there's no real need for a full suspension bike at all. So I, I, I don't know about all uh, all race promoters, but Cimarron knows St. George, and she's giving good info here. Um, that said, no race pr- uh, promoter can give you what a r- good recon ride will do. It's, there's nothing you can do uh, to describe riding the Zen Trail in St. George, Utah, that will be equivalent to actually riding the Zen Trail in St. George, Utah. It is incredibly technical. It is very difficult. You are going to be going one and a half and two miles an hour picking out a line of good chunk of the time and you have to move out of race mode and into careful riding mode for a big piece of this it's it's an incredibly intense race mentally and physically good gosh yeah well (laughs) good luck with the true grit epic um we hope that your recon experience somehow pays dividends (laughs) well i know that i'm taking my diet more seriously between now and then so yes (laughs) always a good idea the pace line says go ahead and recon Just do so with extreme care. Hey guys, coming up, one San Francisco Bay Area City Council has been checking Strava times. That's next on The Pace Line. The Pace Line is here with Fatty from FatCyclist.com. 
Patrick Brady of RedKitePrayer.com. I'm Michael Houghton. Hey guys, the Los Altos City Council, Los Altos Hills City Council, I should say, has voted to ban bikes in a popular area called a Burn Preserve. The preserve has three miles of trails and they are shared by hikers, equestrians, and cyclists. Now, the council has heard for a couple years now complaints about cyclists bombing some of the single track in the preserve, but they resisted doing much about it because the problem was being caused by a minority of the cyclists who ride the preserve. That all changed, though, when Strava times started getting posted. The council had a meeting on the ban and heard from residents like Ginger Summit. Bikes are a terror, I must say. Even though nobody has been hit, we are always conscious, and there's always an alert for the person who's either walking ahead or walking behind to yell to the other people behind them that the bikes are coming. Now, cyclists testified, too, and most asked the council to keep the trails open. Katie Baruzzi pointed to the Strava Times as evidence that speed was not a big issue. I was curious about the data. So I looked up on Strava, which is a website that a lot of cyclists use, and I uh, wanted to see how fast people actually were going. And the fastest woman going downhill on Artemis Ginston clocked at 13.6 miles per hour. And she's a professional um, cyclocross racer. So just a data point there. I don't think everybody's going quite as fast as you think. Well, actually, I... I can refer to that because I actually did look on Strava's myself because there's actually a, a path listed from downhill Artemis yeah. Winston path, and there's the leaderboard for how fast you get from top to bottom. You race and get your name up on the top. And this is just the first page of it, so it's the first appearance the top people. But top 20 people are doing anywhere from – this is average from top all the way to the bottom of Moody, average 19 to 16 to 19 miles an hour. It's really the entire thing, which means – they're not stopping very much. They're getting almost 20 miles on average from top to bottom, even on the flat areas. So that still sounds pretty fast to me. That was uh, Councilman Roger Spreen with his rebuttal. There are six segments in Burn Preserve. Top 10 on those segments are hitting speeds up to 35 miles per hour. The vote to ban bikes was unanimous by the council. So now all bikes are out and they don't I mean, they're not just targeting the mountain bikers on the single track who are posting times, but they put a ban on all bikes in this preserve. That means folks who are commuting through Los Altos Hills, using the preserve as part of their commute, they can no longer go to the preserve as well. A guy on a downhill bike can't use it for his single track fun. Strava times, the big evidence here for the council's ban. What do you guys think? Yay, Strava. Yay, Strava? No, uh, no, that was uh, entirely ironic. Um, uh, you know, it, there's, there's, I mean, cyclists brought them on, the, brought this on themselves. Um, you know, the problem is that uh, if they'd looked at, you know, data from a standpoint of what are most people doing, not what are the fastest people doing, uh, this is a case where, you know, uh, a couple of eggheads. Um, you know, 20 or so eggheads got it nixed for everyone else. Uh, who knows, you know, how much lower those uh, KOM speeds uh, would have needed to be to satisfy uh, the city council. Um, you know, I, I mean, they went looking for a witch and they found a witch. And, you know, they might have found that witch uh, even if those average speeds had been five miles per hour slower. Um, they don't sound like cyclists themselves. 
so it may not have made any difference, but Strava gave them the bullet that they were looking for. I think the rankings too, that the fact that, you know, people were competing for KOMs as we know them, mm-hmm. surprised the council too. That's not that's not what they expect in their preserve, that folks are using it as a as a racetrack and that, and that got to them as well. Yeah. Well, that certainly that didn't in a public sense that doesn't serve as well. Here's what council members Courtney Corrigan and John Radford had to say about the Strava findings that they saw. I feel like uh, I don't have a lot of room to wiggle here, and I hate to have to tell the bicycle community to go somewhere else, but when I hear reports like this about people coming up here and using our town trails to post speed awards or whatever they're called, Leaderboard. Yeah. I find that appalling. Uh, whoever's done those apps and whoever puts that together, that just put a hole in the whole argument. Because no matter all of you here that are great bikers that obey all that, I'm sorry, the facts are against you. You've got documented evidence, dramatic evidence, that the speeding going on there is absolutely unacceptable. See, politically, they're in a tight spot, right? They've got people with Strava data going, look, council, we've got them. They're bombing the trails. We've got horses and kids and walkers and... Everyone else here, this is dangerous. Well, in what's, a, Marin, what's a council member to do? In I Marin guess? County, they took a, an, an entirely different approach, which is they put rangers out uh, with radar guns, you know, to check speed. They simply limited speeding instead of, you know, uh, passing an ordinance that forbid all cycling. I mean, that's kind of draconian. Can't we agree? Um, it's more appropriate to regulate the speed than to just say, okay, bikes can't be out here. Clearly, you know, this was an inappropriate response to uh, egregious behavior by a few individuals, a a very small number of individuals. I'm sure if you looked at the bulk of the speeds of the bulk of the riders going through there, it was not objectionable. It's just people who don't like bikes. So I I don't know the area that this is in, in regards to, but to me it feels like they went straight to the nuclear option. I, yeah. Was there ever, were there already signs saying, go slow, multi-use trail, you know, share the, share the trail. And was there, were there opportunities for cyclists and, uh, our friends from Equestria to get together and talk about, uh, sharing a trail building day and getting to understand each other were there days where there could be set aside for for the downhillers to have a fun bomber run were, were there opportunities for the downhilling group to create a special trail for a fast uh flow trail you know these are things that in my neighborhood in utah we have we have downhill only flow trails where horses aren't allowed we have trails that are only for horses we have trails that are specifically uphill and everyone gets along great here and strava is used to a crazy degree including by me but everyone knows which trails are for what they're clearly indicated 
There are trails for going fast, there are trails for running, there are trails for hiking, and there's room for all of it. It just feels to me like they, you know, they, they probably had a valid point, you know, cyclists are going too fast, but the answer isn't get, therefore get rid of all cyclists. To me, it feels like, well, here's something that some people love to do. Let's find a way to make a place for them to do that thing they love to do safely. Yeah, I mean, if you took the same approach to regulating speeding on highways, uh, we would no longer have cars on highways. You know, oh, a guy just did 100 miles an hour. Now let's take all the cars off because some people are speeding. It's it's a silly approach. Um, as to your point about, you know, trail building days and uh, downhill specific trails, um, I don't know that the efforts haven't been made, but certainly, you know, there's there's not a lot of that here in California. And it's interesting to consider how helpful it would be to have uphill specific trails. It could easily be argued that we need that sort of thing even more than Utah does. Yeah, very likely. And there, it seems like there has been some really well-considered trail use um, plans being put here and I'm I'm talking about Corner Canyon to a degree where which is where I do a lot of my writing but elsewhere in Salt Lake City there are days alternate days where cyclists have access to a trail and on even days cyclists do not have access to that trail but rather hikers have it and that is fine everyone understands what the parameters are so that people are not getting on top of each other most people, given a rule and an understanding, will work within that. Of course, there's going to be scoff laws, and they need to be handled as such. But you don't need to ban an entire category of recreational use because there is a problem that is addressable. There is a medium path. Yeah, the answer to your question about signage, yes, signage had been tried in Burn Preserve. Hmm. But the rest of the points you brought up, Fatty, had not. Cyclists getting to with, together with equestrians or with hikers or having trail building days, none of that has really gone down yet. Now, the council itself had heard complaints about cyclists in the, in the preserve before and, again, had resisted doing anything until until the Strava thing come up. And now, Strava, look, this brings up a larger point about Strava and about KOMs and especially about the, the the sense that we all compete for, some of us compete for. Look, Strava's been accused of much worse here. They've been accused of of uh, people who have been killed doing dissents while competing for KOMs, um, and they've been sued over that, that matter before. So they are no stranger to this type of controversy. But are are they the villain in this? Do they should they be more active about? policing what goes on regarding these these descents and speeds especially in high traffic areas aiding I would and say abetting really yeah see i would say no uh, it, before there was uh, the the difference between strava and pre-strava is strava is viewable the whole world over before there was strava there were whiteboards in local bike shops where people wrote down what their prs were or who was the current fastest person down a, a given section. We all knew who the fastest guy was for any given climb or for any given descent before there was ever Strava. It's just that Strava makes it so that data is easy to collect from your living room. It makes it publicly available. Well, the, it, I, 
in your neck of the woods, you know, that may have been how things were working out. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. I can say that in Southern California, it's a different story entirely. Um, I was routinely one of the faster descenders, um, you know, on the West side and the South Bay. And uh, within the first couple of years of Strava, you know, most of those descents, I was in the top 10. And these days I'm not even in the top 50. So uh, other guys have, have seen, have looked at Strava and used it as a, a means to uh, further their ambition. And uh, I take it as uh, a means to say, well, faster is possible. And uh, it clearly uh, spurred competition between riders on KOM sections. So Patrick, aiding and abetting, explain that. What do you mean there? It, it was a, a, a tool that incited uh, greater speed. Um, I, I bet that the very fastest riders uh, in the burn preserve uh, wouldn't have been quite as fast um, or there wouldn't have been as many riders going that fast without the existence of Strava. And should Strava step up and do something in these situations? Well, they should have stepped up a long time ago. Their their PR response in in regard to riders dying, riders being injured, uh, riding areas being closed off has been absolutely dismal. Um, you know, it's it, they're like handgun makers in that regard. We didn't have anything to do with this, um, and there are a lot of people in the world who you know feel like they are. Uh, in some way responsible for what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have, Again, like I said, they have been sued. They were sued over the death of a man who was killed in a crash on South Park Drive in Berkeley. That's a really steep descent. He was chasing a downhill Strava segment. No one disagrees with that. Strava, the one the case with the judge finding that cyclists understand the risk involved in their activity. And I don't know how that translates into burn preserve, but... It's obviously when you're chasing a downhill segment, what it, what one judge at least has said is that, look, these are cyclists taking a risk, whether or not Strava is there, they, they assume the risk involved here. And Strava has, again, they have tried to respond, as you said, Patrick, and what it has said is that cyclists need to take responsibility and use common sense, same as when they're crossing an intersection or rolling through a stop sign. They count on cyclists to be responsible for their safety, giving them a tool to do something about it. Anybody who's ridden a segment has the ability to shut down a leaderboard if they're concerned that it's no longer safe or maybe in a preserve that it's causing a problem with other users of the trail. A, a Strava user can then shut that segment down. Here's the problem too, going back to Los Altos Hill City Council, is the cyclists who showed up to testify were not the folks doing the the segment chasing. Well, of course. They were people who were wanted to use the preserve to either bike commute because they were riding through Los Altos Hills or they were there for lighter recreational purposes. But the actual folks who were being accused of scaring equestrians and, and hikers didn't even bother to show up to try and at least make a case or make an offer to say, look, give us a chance to work with the community about this issue. There was nothing from those folks. This surprises you? Well, I think, no, it doesn't surprise me, but I think that has to change. Again, if you're going to get, if you're going to do something and then be, turn around and get accused of 
of causing the closure of an important trail, you got to stand up and say, look, look, yes, we're the guys doing this, but we're here to try and offer a solution as well. And that's, that's well within them. Look, if you can chase a segment and you can be top 10 in a segment, you can certainly go and argue before a city council and say, here's why I think you should keep the burn preserve open to cyclists. Well, but I, I think it's a bit much for us to expect that the least responsibly acting members of a community will come out and, and uh, publicly attempt to apologize and rectify their behavior. Uh, that's, that's just not how society works. The pace line isn't here to change that, but we're, we're, we hope to have a little influence in this area. Strava, we love them, don't we? Oh, my gosh. Uh, they're like an, uh, some of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> How? <laughs> you know, you love them, you hate them. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's just wildly ambivalent. Uh, see, I'm... I love Strava. I, I am unabashedly in love with Strava. I Every single ride I do, I record on Strava. But I'm not fast enough so that I have really much of a chance of getting a, a popular KOM or anything like that. But here's just a, a little anecdote from uh, last weekend. Um, the second day uh, when we were riding in St. George, um, I set up a, a GPS on my stepdaughter's computer, uh, bike for the first time, and she got a little bit of a Strava fire under her, right? And she's <laughs> wanting to do each segment fast. Afterward, you know, we were talking about the ride, and she's like, I, I, you know, wanting to get, you know, she's disappointed that she's not seeing a lot of trophies there. And we talked a little bit about it, saying, you know, Strava is for, you know, recording how you do and seeing how well you're doing and noting your own progress. And when you're in a race, maybe it's foreseen whether you can get a KOM or a PR or whatever. And that makes me want, you know, it's sort of talking about how to not be, you know, a, a chomping at the bit Strava addict, which is kind of easy to become because for a while I was there. I mean, every ride I was analyzing to see if I could, you know, nab a trophy of some sort or another. So maybe just like we need to have gun safety courses, we need Strava safety courses saying, okay, here's what Strava's for. Here's what it's not for. Here is what to do if you see, if you see someone who is not using Strava safely. You know, it's, you know, maybe th start thinking of it as a tool that can be used and or abused. I completely agree. Could not possibly agree more. It's like a hammer. You can build a house with a hammer or you can beat your neighbor to death. It's your choice. Um, you know, I think one of the problems that I have with uh, Strava and to the degree that I think they bear some responsibility in some of the things that have happened, it's stuff like them sending out the emails, uh-oh, Neil Shirley got your KOM. There are guys who've been made utterly crazy with Neil going out and, and doing what he does, which is go very, very fast. Dude's amazing. You know, holding down a, a full-time job as a journalist, and he's still fast as a pro. Um, but the number of people I've seen post something on Facebook about, oh, man, Neil just got my KOM, um, that there's a certain level of incitement uh, that that brings about. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, yeah, I love, I love Strava because it allows me to see how I'm doing 
relative to previous years, previous performances of my own. Um, the social aspect is kind of neat, um, but I really try to keep that in check and make my first priority in using Strava uh, a way to monitor my own fitness. I guess the takeaway in all this is all that uploading, all that recording, all that uploading, that Strava data can now be used as evidence or during testimony in a city council meeting. So it's something just to keep in mind that we're leaving a track record. And that track record can work for us or can work against us in the case of the Los Altos Hills City Council. All right, guys. uh, Two big bike companies have sent shockwaves to local bike shops. That's coming up next on The Pace Line. The Pace Line heads into our garage now, and in it today we find Giant and Shimano. First with Giant, they've become the second major bike company to go consumer direct. Trek is the other. Giant customers can now order bikes and parts online, then pick them up at their local Giant dealer. Patrick, this is a pretty major move, at least the second major move by a major bike company in this area. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Trek was the the first of the American manufacturers, and they were following the lead of the European company Canyon. Uh, And so you can go on Trek's site right now and order a bike that way. And what happens is it's uh, shipped uh, to the dealer, and you go there and pick it up fully assembled from the dealer. Giant has now followed suit. What's been interesting to watch are uh, comments on the Bicycle Retailer and Industry News site uh, in response to this, as well as Facebook, of course. Um, A whole lot of retailers just hate this, just absolutely despise it. And uh, they talk about, you know, how poorly these programs are implemented, uh, how it results in uh, you're not actually paid uh, your commission on the bike. You are credited uh, against your account, and nobody seems to like that. Uh, but some have commented that uh, Giant's uh, return policy is uh, more favorable to retailers than Trex is. Uh, this is in, in the case of uh, uh, a consumer who orders a bike and then it gets there and say it's the wrong size and they actually need a different size. Or they've decided they want the Dura-Ace instead of the Ultegra model, something like that. Uh, and so those bikes uh, go back into stock. Uh, the, the funny thing is uh, what you don't see retailers talking about is how consumers just want to shop differently now. Uh, they, they don't like bike shops in many instances, and they just want to figure out on their own. Fatty, are you an online guy or are you an LBS local bike shop guy? I have a really simple rule with this. If the thing that I'm buying is going to be maintained or serviced at an LBS, I'm going to take buy it from the LBS. I have never purchased a bike online, and I never will, um, because I have a guy who works on my bike who stopped being my mechanic, in quotes, a long time ago and is now a close personal friend. 
And I think every serious rider who needs help working on their bikes, that is, if you are not a, me- a good qualified mechanic yourself, you should treat it the same way. Buy your bike from an LBS, get it fitted by your, at your LBS, get it serviced at your LBS, and be happy. Yeah. The, the Consumer Direct doesn't completely cut out the local bike shop. It just... It disrespects the of, them, though. Exactly. I think that's the point you're trying to make. It just cuts out that initial point of contact mm-hmm. and that initial relationship you make with the person on the floor about the bike you're about to purchase, and suddenly they become just a pickup point yeah. for the bicycle. I, and hopefully the place where you bring it back for maintenance and service. I love hanging out while my bike is being built and talking with him about maybe little changes. You know, may, I, I've made little upgrades while the bike has been has been built a number of times saying, hey, let's put these grips on instead. You know, and, or hey, let's, you know, I've been thinking of trying different pedals. Hey, let's do this. And if you are there and you are a customer and you are well regarded because you are loyal the mechanic the owner whoever is building it for you is going to have no problem if you are a guy who parachutes in to pick up your bike then you are nothing more than i mean you're you're no more of a person to the bike shop than the ups guy is yeah if you're really interested in this topic you should check out rick vosper's writings on redkiteprayer.com about Consumer Direct. When Trek went online with this, or just before they did, he wrote a couple of long articles about this, detailed it, and really talked about the elephant in the room, too, that's going on here. So I encourage you to go to redkiteprayer.com, have a look at Rick's work on this area. The other uh, garage news for us is Shimano, and they have slashed wholesale and retail prices on many components above the SLX level, road and mountain changes in prices range from a percent to i think up to 40 percent. yeah so patrick what does this mean for listeners buying components or complete bikes and the bike shops themselves um i'm gonna go with uh 2016 is a good year to buy bike stuff from shimano alex for 200 um this is yeah these are our big price changes um the way they're implementing this is upsetting some retailers because there are no rebates for people who already have existing Shimano stock, but for smaller shops that have been getting killed by the UK mail order outlets like Chain Reaction and Wiggle, uh, this is a way for them to uh, have a at least have a shot at being competitive against those mail order outlets. Um, I, I know retailers who, for simple expediency, have been ordering stuff online from those retailers because they're able to get it cheaper from them than they can from some distributors. Uh, and so it was a way for them to get stuff fast uh, and get it at a price that allowed them to make some small amount of profit uh, while still service, servicing their existing clientele. So this is Shimano's response then to deal with this these overseas online retailers who have been undercutting wholesalers yeah. to American bike I shops. I mean when when you can when you can buy parts from an online retailer for less than your bike shop can buy them from their distributor there's a problem with pricing and Shimano is finally taking a, a truly proactive step to try to reconcile that 
uh, and help American retailers stay in business, really. So we should expect to see SRAM maybe campy respond in kind? One would hope. Uh, But I think there's been a bigger problem uh, on behalf of Shimano with this than there has been with uh, SRAM or campy. But, you know, basically every every brand out there that's available through Wiggle and Chain Reaction has uh, suffered some problems this way. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on the pricing. And uh, Patrick says it's a good year to buy Shimano. That's your your wine recommendation and your component recommendation this year, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good vintage. 2016 is the good year. So what about those of us who sell and buy bikes pretty frequently? Those of us who bought a bike in 2015 with Shimano components and tend to cycle through, sell them used to friends or on eBay or whatever – can we look forward to uh, getting essentially even a worse um, a, a worse buyback um, cost? Like you know, is my can I instead of getting fifty percent off of my uh, off my original purchase price? Can I am I looking at maybe thirty percent now? Gosh, I you know yeah. If you didn't really need to sell a bike this year, I would probably wait until two thousand seventeen. Um, but it also depends on, you know, what group you're talking about. Um, you know, the higher end stuff tends to hold its value better. I also have the feedback open today, guys, and a little food for thought inside. Would you pay $200 for a bike club membership? Rafa is betting many people will. Recently, they opened a retail outlet here in Los Angeles, but they don't exactly call it a store. To them, it's a club. Now, anyone could go buy, browse, or buy, but there is a membership side to things, and those folks who get a membership get some perks. Free coffee, okay. Access to high-end rental bikes, rides organized just for members. Alistair Fraser is the manager of Rafa Club Los Angeles, and we spoke to him about this concept. This is for people who are looking for something special. That's right. We want the club to be a, a great representation of, of riders in the area. So that's why we have a chapter coordinator for each club. We want to make sure the things that our club members want to do, we provide for them. When you grow too large, um, you sometimes lose focus on that. At the same time, we want to be the biggest cycle club in the world. We've got an increasing presence in North America all the time, as well as growing elsewhere. Um, there's no reason why we can't also be the biggest cycle club out there. We'd love to be able to do that. So there are 11 Rafa Club locations worldwide, guys, three in North America. We have some pics up at redkiteprayer.com if you want to see a picture of the LA pop-up. Patrick, this seems to make sense for their brand, the Rafa brand, but is there a chance they could turn off people with this? Oh, you know, it's Rafa. Somebody's going to get upset. Somebody's going to hate him for doing this. You know, it's a big world, and people have all sorts of weird reactions to stuff. The thing is, if you look at what you typically get out of a bicycle club membership, and yeah, $200 is a lot of a lot for a club membership, but if you think about what people normally spend if their rides are starting and or ending at starbucks uh you're gonna it just in free coffee alone it's totally worth it it's it's a pretty genius thing right fatty you don't seem like the rafa type but well you know could you show <laughs> two of my favorite pair of bib shorts are rafa and so i love their products they they make some really great cycling clothes I can imagine that if I traveled frequently to the places that have these Rafa clubs and it meant that without knowing 
uh, routes and without knowing people, I could just drop in and show a card and get into a group ride with a decent bike, that it would be of high value. So I can imagine actually this being something that would be really nice for people who travel a lot to these, you know, highly, you know, densely populated places. For me, you know, a guy who knows where I, you know, knows where I ride, I travel not that often, and especially not to big cities like that. Um, there's no need for it at all for me. I don't dislike the idea, but I am indifferent to it. It, it has nothing for me. Well, Rafa is offering us some awfully nice bikes, as you mentioned, Fatty. Uh, the ones I saw at the pop-up store, Canyons with DI2s and full carbon wheels. So you're right. You do get some nice perks with your $200 membership. And yeah, it's not for everyone. And Rafa is open about this. They say, look, we get it. We're high-end. Not everyone needs this or wants it, but it's there. And we're all too happy to provide it. And it really does fit their image. I mean, that's, that's who they are, and that's what they want to be. With that, the pace line is uh, rolling to a halt this time. Fatty, it was good to hear uh, you got some outdoor riding in uh, this past week. What's coming up on FatCyclist.com and the FattyCast? The FattyCast, I actually have so much going on right now. Um, it's much more interesting than most of my riding, which is happening in the basement pain cave right now. But I have an interview with Doug Ullman coming up. I have an interview with Erica Tingy coming up, who will be announcing uh, some interesting stuff regarding her career. Have an interview with Catherine Bertine and an interview with Sonia Looney coming up. So an emphasis on some exciting and uh, top of their game pro women writers. I am a follower of the Fatty Cast and enjoy uh, listening to it. So want to thank you for putting those up for us. And Patrick RKP has just been hopping right now. Man, what's coming up on the pages of redkiteprayer.com? A couple more pieces helping to preview uh, the upcoming North American Handmade Bicycle Show. Uh, I'm chief judge there for the awards, and uh, we're a little over 10 days out from the show. Can't wait. Awesome. Okay, this podcast can be found on redkiteprayer.com, fatcyclist.com, iTunes, and Stitcher, at least we hope. Stitcher has been Maybe. down for a few days. In fact, guys, their, their servers crashed not long after our first episodes appeared on that site. So evidently, we either have some really uh, aggressive listeners or they have some really bad servers. Just we hope, pray, Stitcher gets back online. If not, uh, by the time you hear this episode, hopefully they're back up by then. So for Fatty and Patrick Brady, I'm Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Good Line. Good night, everybody. See ya.